Well, turn with me to John chapter 10. We're going to be in John 10. For those of you who are uh, joining us, uh, maybe for the first time or just in a while, we've been in a series called Loved, Invited, Transformed. John 10, we're going to be at verse 1. You actually need a Bible, so uh, yeah, if you don't have one, um, follow along, but let me know later and I can get you one. John chapter 10, starting at verse 1. Very truly I tell you, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate, but climbs in by another way, is a thief and a bandit. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep hears voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will not follow a stranger, but they will run from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this figure of speech with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So again, Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and bandits, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, who is not the shepherd, does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. The hired hand runs away because a hired hand does not care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life in order to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it up again. I have received this command from the Father. Again, the Jews were divided because of these words. Many of them were saying, he has a demon and is out of his mind. Why listen to him? Others were saying, these are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There is a better life out there for you. That's what Jesus is saying. Not me, Jesus. I'm just going to help you hear what Jesus is saying. There is a better life out there for you. And Jesus isn't the only one saying this. In fact, that is an extremely common message in the world that we live in. From engagement ring billboards, to hamburger chains, to mindfulness apps and self-help books, beer commercials. The next political candidate, the new diet trend makeup companies, athletic gear, and that list could go on and on and on and on. The life you have is not good enough. There's better. Now, it's amazing that that message is so common in our society when you think of it. And I think the only explanation for that, for the prevalence of that idea, is that it's true that somehow in our time and in our culture, we have hit something true. We have accurately identified the problem. But everyone seems to have a different solution. 
And so you and I keep hearing the same message. There is a better life out there for you. But we've learned not to trust any of the voices. Even the beer commercials. And I know what you're thinking. The beer commercials have lied to us? Yes, you will probably not become skinnier, more attractive, or fall in love because of beer. In fact, the opposite often happens to people, which is really ironic if you think about it. And that makes us really cynical and skeptical of any and all authority that comes our way. Anyone who tries to speak or say anything with real certainty or anyone who makes claims about humanity or life and how it should be lived. And if you listen to most sociologists or psychologists or historians or philosophers, they would tell you that our time is particularly skeptical of authority. That we really just don't trust anyone who says anything. And so we take a little bit from everybody, a little bit of Jesus and a little bit of the self-help books and a little bit of the astrology calendar and a little bit of the new diet or fitness trend. But we don't trust any one authority because they all have an angle and they're all selling something and everybody's got strings attached to the deal. Everyone's got an ulterior motive. And so I don't trust Carl's Jr. will satisfy me and I don't trust Jesus will satisfy me. That's just the way that this works. Because I think that someone who says things like, I'm the gate, is trying to keep people out, or trying to trap people, trying to create some world while I'll be miserable. But the question is really, what, what is Jesus saying, and what is he offering? Because he is making a claim. Absolutely. And I think it's worth listening to what exactly he's claiming. So the metaphor, if you can call it a metaphor, uh, starts at verse 1. And Jesus says basically this. Look, anybody who tries to break into the corral where the sheep are, jumps the fence, that guy's a thief. But the guy who walks in the front door and waves to the security guard and calls the sheep and they come to him, they don't run away because he's clearly not a stranger, the shepherd. Very straightforward. And then it says in verse 6, they didn't understand what he was saying. And if you're listening to this, you think, I mean, I know what he's saying. He's saying, I'm the shepherd. It's really obvious, right? I've figured out Christianity. I'm smarter than anyone who's ever listened to Jesus. And then in verse 7, he says, I'm the gate. You're the gate? Do you not know how metaphors work? The gate is not important in this whole metaphor. I don't understand. You're the shepherd. Are you not the shepherd? How are you the gate? Who's the shepherd if you're the gate? I'm the shepherd too. You can't be everything in a metaphor. (laughs) Jesus What in the world? And here's the thing about Jesus. This is true. If you read the Bible a lot, you will find that he is not interested in giving you bullet points about how to live your life. In fact, sometimes he's a little confusing, and he expects you to think. St. Augustine, who's one of the great fathers of the church, says about this passage, the Lord feeds us like sheep with the easy words in this passage. And with the more difficult ones, he gives us some exercise. God expects us maybe to stay fit spiritually and spend some time thinking about what it is he's saying and what it is that he might have to say into our lives. I'm the gate, Jesus says. And the gate in verses 7 to 9 keeps out the bad guys and protects the good guys. Protects the sheep, and it keeps out all kinds of dangerous and nasty influences. And again, in our time where we're suspicious of authority, the idea of gates and boundaries make us very suspicious. It's one of the reasons that people really don't like the idea of Christianity, that there are all these rules and things you can do and things you can't do, people who are in, people who aren't in. I really don't like that about this. Well, I think that's fair. Uh, the truth is, Christians, we talk about being free. When you come to know Jesus, that you will be free. But, and you say, but if there's any but, it's not really freedom. Well, maybe that's true. There are boundaries. There's a gate in Christianity. There's some things that are just 
Never okay when it comes to following Jesus. Never okay to have sex with somebody you're not married to. Never okay. No situation in which that works. Never okay to become a racist. Never okay. Never an acceptable thing for somebody who follows Jesus. Never okay to become someone bitter who refuses to forgive other people and lives in the past, constantly just crippled by everything that's ever happened to them and refusing to engage the people around them with grace. Not okay. Some things are just off limits to us. But that sounds like freedom to me. Again, I kind of buy into this. I believe that this is a good gate, that the gate keeps out bad things and protects me. That's what I believe. Jesus is the gate, and I trust him. And that's the thing. I, I believe that he'll let me go in and come out, which it says in this, that I won't be trapped. And I know, actually, that when it comes to following Jesus, it's not just that some things are kept out that are always bad. It's that some things are let in, but only in a particular way. Anyone who comes in by the gate is okay. But anyone who tries to jump the fence, not okay. When it comes to following Jesus, some things, like marriage, are only okay in certain contexts. Marriage is something that if it comes in by the gate, if it submits to Jesus, is a good thing in your life. But marriage that jumps the fence well, then your spouse or your relationship can become the most important thing in the world to you. And marriage can actually be a very bad thing in your life. It can rob you of real life. Your kids, your job, your family, your hope for the future, your experience of the past, the way you want to spend your free time or your money, all these things, if they come in by the gate, if they submit to Jesus, if they are not the most important thing in your life, but they come a little bit lower down, those things are life-giving and amazing and incredible. And if they jump the fence, they will absolutely destroy you. Little by little or all at once. All sorts of things can become thieves in our lives if they don't come in by the gate. And Jesus says that the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. And there are definitely things in our lives that are off-limits and things in our life that maybe work in certain contexts that can become thieves. But Jesus probably has in mind a particular kind of thief. We believe in supernatural evil in the church, that there is personal evil, that we have an enemy that is out to destroy that which God loves for no other reason than because it it enjoys destroying things, if you can call that enjoyment. That real freedom outside this gate is actually the freedom to be tortured and destroyed. That's what we believe. So freedom without boundaries ultimately will destroy you. It's a weird thing that the church believes that only certain kinds of freedom are actually good for human beings. I know a girl who met the thief. There was a, a, she was a young woman, actually, at the time. I met a guy that she absolutely fell in love with, and uh, they were young and dumb and naive and got married and uh, really excited uh, about life, and they actually wanted to go into ministry, um, but ministry was something that didn't really come in by the gate. It jumped the fence. Even ministry can be bad for you in the wrong context. And ministry became the most important thing, and following Jesus was actually kind of below that. And it did a lot of damage in their life and in their relationship. Um, at one point, she was working at a bar, and um, people would come in and joke with her and talk about life. And, uh, maybe it wasn't the best work environment. And some of the girls um, would invite her out to do things on the weekends that she didn't really do most of the time. And there were guys who would come in and hit on her, because, you know, that just makes sense. And little by little, there was this one particular group that would kind of surround her. And they were good friends, in a way, but they were none of them connected to Jesus. And they kept making fun of the idea of her waking up on Sunday mornings. And they kept joking about the fact that she only ever had sex with her husband. 
And they kept talking about a better world where there was real freedom outside the gate. And she bought it. And it destroyed her life and her marriage. She lost that young guy that she really cared about. And she lives somewhere else now. And she's in her late 30s. She's going to be 40 soon. And her whole life has been crippled by a series of decisions she made because she believed that you could find real freedom in a place where you will only find pain and torture. And unfortunately, that is not the only version of that story that I know. That has happened in other places at other times with other people that I know. The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. Only to steal, to kill, and destroy. But again, I trust the gate. I believe that if Jesus is the gate, it's a good gate. It will keep me safe. It will let me go in and go out. And I trust him because I'd say he's a good shepherd. And there are people in this room, we trust him because we'd say he's a good shepherd. Maybe the only good shepherd. Gary Burge, who wrote a commentary on the Gospel of John, um, talks a little bit about this and what contemporary life uh, is like for shepherds. To lead a flock through a desolate region with bandits and hungry animals is still serious business. Shepherds commonly carry a four- or five-foot wooden stick that serves cheaply as a defensive weapon. They are also pretty good with a sling and stones, like the biblical shepherd David. And when the flock is attacked... A good shepherd will never throw a lamb to the attacking animals in order to save the flock. He tries to find a sheep pen, like it's described in the story, and then stands between the flock and danger. The desert is a desperate place. Our shepherd is skillful and courageous. If we remain under his leadership, if we recognize his voice, we will find safety and flourish. There's a thing that shepherds do in the desert in the Middle East place where there are still lions that run around and are interested in tasty, fluffy little treats running around in the desert. Think about a sheep. Those are not intimidating animals. And so a shepherd leading a sheep, realizing they're being hunted, and a smart shepherd realizes they're always kind of being hunted, will lead his sheep to a particular area, will look for and always be on the lookout for sort of ravines or areas that are surrounded by rocks. So you can back the sheep in and you stand between the sheep and danger. Danger has to go through the shepherd to get to the sheep. The shepherd is gate and shepherd at the same time. Jesus is the good shepherd. He lays down his life for the sheep. There is, in fact, one person who is making an offer where there's no ulterior motive, no strings attached. He wants nothing from you. He just wants you. And he wants you to have the kind of life you've always wanted. He wants you to be the kind of person you've always wanted to be. He's a good shepherd. Shepherds actually often eat sheep. It's part of the game. Shepherds often sacrifice sheep in order to take care of their own sins. This is the Bible we're talking about. Only Jesus is willing to lay down his life for the sheep. He reverses the typical order of shepherd and sheep. He's the good shepherd, he says. Hired hands? Dime a dozen. All sorts of people who don't really care about the sheep. And when they see the wolf... When, not if, when there is danger, when they are threatened, they run away. They don't care about the sheep. I'm the good shepherd, he says. Again, repeats himself. And there are other sheep, sheep who aren't in, 
and I want them in the flock. This is verse 16. Other shepherd who aren't a part of this, or other sheep who aren't a part of this, there will be one flock and one shepherd. I'm going to find these sheep and bring them in. One of the Bible's favorite metaphors for us are lost sheep. Now that we're, we're like fluffy little treats that have wandered out into the desert and are in desperate need of a savior. We're not going to make it for very long without someone to come and take us and bring us into community and make sure that we know where to go to find food and make sure we know where to go to find water. It's a really good metaphor for me in my own spiritual life. I don't know about you. I am not powerful or strong or savvy. I am in desperate need of a shepherd. And I like the fact that Jesus here is talking not just about, you know, the people who are already in. That there aren't people shut out because there's a gate and, you know, you haven't made it into the flock. But that he's actually still on the lookout for those who are lost. Because you and I, right, we have friends who we would really like to come to know Jesus. And maybe you've had the experience of talking to people about Jesus and talking to people about Jesus and being in a relationship and kind of doing that come-to-Jesus moment conversation. They're polite about it, but they're not that interested. And so somewhere in the middle of it, you think, okay, well, maybe I should just stop, stop trying. I mean, they, don't seem, they just don't seem that curious about Jesus. They've got everything that they need. And that makes sense. In America, right, we, we have money. We've got technology and medicine. And a lot of the time, we can live under the illusion that we control our lives that we're safe and protected because of how clever we are all the time. But inevitably, wolves come. Inevitably, there will be a crisis. Absolutely. In the lives of these friends of yours that you care deeply about. Or in your life. And all of a sudden, the things that you have trusted, the things that you have trusted that are not Jesus, will prove themselves to be thieves and wolves. Will prove themselves to be hired hands, abandoning you. In the moment you need them the most, they will not protect you. And in those moments, if you're talking to people about Jesus, if you've been a consistent presence in their life, been someone who loves them regardless of whether or not they want to come to know Jesus, they will be very interested in this good shepherd that always seems to be with you. Very interested in the gate that has kept you safe from harm. And you and I, suddenly when we find ourselves in a crisis and we feel very alone and we wonder if God is even with us, it could be sometimes in those moments that we are discovering that the God we were trusting in was not the good shepherd, but something else. That we believed that money would keep us safe. And so when it all goes away, we think, what happened to my God? Because we trusted in something that wasn't God, and now it's gone. In those moments, to go running back to the good shepherd, to remember that that gate is always open for any and everyone who wants safety. And also, as we go out into the world, to realize that we're people who bear witness to a good shepherd. To become the kinds of people who are really consistent in the lives of other people. Not to bail when they come into a crisis. Be folks who are there in community. Maybe you're not called to be in ministry. Maybe you're not going to be a pastor. But if you're in a small group, to be somebody who is there in your small group. And who consistently notices when people go missing. If you're in a church, to be in the church. And really connected and notice when people go missing. Because it's not just that they didn't feel like waking up on a Sunday morning. Something's going on. To be people who bear witness to the Good Shepherd because we become like him. Not hired hands who run away at the first sign of trouble, but who care deeply about people. And likewise, because you will not always be in this room. When you go for other churches, when you go wandering out into the world, look for people who love Jesus, who love the Bible, and who love you. 
there is a CEO model of ministry out there in the world, and it's not a bad thing necessarily to have churches with good leadership or really good music or really good programs. Those are good things. But look for a pastor who wants to know your name. Look for people who care deeply about reading their Bibles, who notice when you go missing, who notice when you're in the hospital. Look for people who want to be like Jesus in that way. And by the way, hold me to that standard. And I won't succeed, by the way. But hold me to that standard because I want to be like Jesus. I really want to be like Jesus in this way. The good shepherd who cares about the sheep, who knows you by name, who knows me by name, and won't let any of us go missing. He keeps saying all the way through this, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. That's the end of chapter 10. Or in verse 4 and 5. And my sheep, they, they hear me and they come to me. They don't go running away. They don't listen to strangers. The voice of the shepherd is really important. And it's really important because in the Middle East, one of the things that shepherds do, this is a thing, all over the Middle East, they don't have tracking collars or leashes. Uh, they teach their sheep their own voice. Really interesting thing. Uh, there was a story that uh, was in the news recently. I mean, Gary Burge talks about this. A Palestinian woman who had lost her husband in a recent conflict with Israel and was consequently in dire need was finally permitted by a very hesitant Israeli officer to call her sheep out of a huge mass of sequestered, sequestered and detained animals. The officer at first pointed to the hundreds of animals and joked that it was impossible for her to find her own small flock. She asked if she could, in fact, separate them herself. Would he be willing to let her take them? He agreed. A soldier opened the gate, and the woman's son produced a small flute. He played a simple tune again and again, and soon sheep heads began popping up and looking around. The young boy continued the music and just walked home followed by his flock of 25 sheep. Each flock of sheep is apparently attuned to a very particular and unique-to-itself voice. Jesus is playing on that theme throughout this sermon. In the Old Testament, there are two um, passages of Scripture. Um, Psalm 23, where God says, or, well, the psalmist says of God, that he's a good shepherd. He leads people through the desert. He watches over them through the valley of the shadow of death. And he leads them out to a banquet, a feast. In Ezekiel 34, where God will talk to the people through a prophet and say, you've been following the wrong shepherds. They keep eating the sheep. How have you not noticed this? I'm going to deal with those shepherds and I'm going to be the good shepherd myself. Start following me. I'm the good shepherd. But Jesus picked up on this and is hoping that we are attuned to his voice. And that we are attuned to the voice of God throughout the scriptures, that we'll hear it and recognize who it is that's speaking. Do you know the voice of the shepherd? Are you taking time to listen for it regularly? Maybe daily. I think that's a good goal, but regularly. Some time to just sit and listen to the voice of God. To hear if maybe he has something to say, which might freak you out if that happens. Maybe he calls you out to do something dangerous, or difficult, something you really don't want to do, something you really have always wanted to do? Are you sitting and reading this book and getting to know the words of God so that when he speaks, you'll recognize the voice? When some other voice speaks, you'll know that that's not his voice. Are you attuning yourself to the voice of God? Are you listening for that song and getting the melody down over 
and over and over again so that if he plays the little tune, you'll just go following. Because he's that confident that he'll just play the tune and leave. And hopefully we will follow. Sometimes I think we go through the day really automatically. And we maybe pray a little bit and then, you know, you're at Chipotle for lunch and you don't stop for a minute and just go, well, Lord, what, what might you want me to do right now? You're hanging out with your kids for a couple of minutes. Lord, what might you want me to do right now? Because God is always speaking, always calling us. We've got to stop and listen for that voice and get used to hearing it. Because that's where we're going to find life. Jesus in verse 10 says, The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly, or to the full, your translation might say. It's a really fun Greek word at the end of that sentence, parasuo. And the basic idea is that um, you're filled beyond full. So not to the brim. But if I took a cup and I filled it and it overflowed, that would be what the word is about. But then, right, I would need to go beyond that and beyond that and beyond that and beyond that. It's a word that is never satisfied with full. You're always going to get more full. So whatever the new normal is, it's going to get better. That's the kind of life that Jesus offers. So there really is a better life out there for you. Even if you've been following Jesus, it gets rich, richer, deeper, better. I think of it like a milkshake. If you are a milkshake connoisseur, you have been to places that don't just serve it in a styrofoam cup. But you go and they have the little glass thing. You know, this is amazing. The milkshake is right there in front of you. And then they bring out a metal cup with more milkshake. And you think, this is incredible. It's like getting a second milkshake that you never really expected. And you think, why don't they just you know, get bigger glasses or make less milkshake? That makes a lot of sense. Why do I need the metal cup alongside it? But there's something about getting the second milkshake that just makes you think, man, I've been given a real treat. Even though I already had the milk, it's like they gave me a free milkshake on top of my milkshake. This is the kind of life that Jesus is offering us. More, better, richer, deeper. More, better, richer, deeper. Life to the full, life that is rich and delicious and amazing and funny and joyful, that is what he's offering us. I've come that they might have life and life to the full. There's a moment when my mom was on a tour of Israel a while back, um, and some of you met my mom. Uh, she, was, uh, she encountered a little 14-year-old shepherd boy, and she'd read the Bible, and she was really curious uh, to know uh, what it would be like for a shepherd boy in Israel. And, so he's 14, and my mom is a hand talker, and the kid has broken English, but she somehow manages to communicate that she would like to try and call his sheep to see if they would come. And so he teaches her the little call, and she tries it, and nothing happens. But she can't really see any sheep around, so she's not sure if he really is a shepherd, if she's misunderstood something along the way, and if maybe he's just messing with her, because he's 14, and that's, there's, there's been a lot of laughing along the way, and she's like, this might, this might have just been a stupid thing. And then the boy does the call, and sheep just appear out of nowhere. They just come <laughs> running. So my mom feels really bad about herself. And he keeps doing the call, and one sheep in particular just keeps running and actually jumps into his arms, and the kid catches it because he knew this was coming because he has this kind of relationship with the sheep. That this sheep, she said it was one of the more profound and ridiculous moments of my life. This sheep seems to know that this boy loves her and absolutely expect that he'll catch. And the boy knows the sheep well enough to know that he's going to jump into her arms. He wants to be as close as possible. As close as possible to the shepherd. Because it knows the voice. Because it knows where it'll find life. Because it knows who's kept it safe. 
knows who's protected it. It knows who keeps leading it to food and water each and every day. It knows the voice, and it wants to be close to the shepherd. Friends, there is a better life out there for you. There is. There is a better life out there for you. Would you pray for him? Pray with me. Lord Jesus, uh, we pray. Um, we pray that we would realize uh, that when it comes to you, there is always a little bit more milkshake coming. Um, there's always a little bit more life coming. And that we've never really figured you out. And that we have no idea really what you're about to do in our lives and what you might be calling us to. And we pray, God, that we might not get satisfied with the life that we've got. or stuck in some kind of rhythm or rut and actually start choosing our own life that we've got over something that you might bring into our lives. We pray for that abundance for each and every person here and for everyone they're touched by. Family members and friends, God, co-workers and neighbors. We pray that the gospel might go forth and people might hear your voice, that there might be one flock and one shepherd. In the name of Jesus, amen.